0: The Home Show with Sinead Ryan on News Talk.
1: Good morning and welcome to The Home Show. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, the great British sewing bees, Esme Young, on her extraordinary life in fashion. We'll find out just how important sculptures are in Irish life on this International Sculpture Day. Do you fancy buying virtual property in the metaverse? We'll find out how. And interior designer Arlene McIntyre gives her top tips on showers and answers your technical questions. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at Newstalk.com and you'll find me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. You can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts, which are up on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. Now I saw um, an extraordinary piece of sculpture during the week I was away in the UK for a couple of days. Let me describe it for you. It was, to my very unshooter eye, a giant white elephant perched on his four legs on top of a ball. I know, me neither. I'm sure there's a message, metaphor, something I'm supposed to take away from it, but I, I like it left me cold. I'll be honest with you, and. Uh, Bit uninterested, so give me a Roman statue, a modern bowl, a plate, Grecian urn that kind of thing. I kind of get uh, maybe I'm a bit soulless, maybe I just don't understand it. Well, it is International Sculpture Day today, and I'm going to be talking about that with one of Ireland's top experts during the show. But before I do, I'd love to know your take on what constitutes beauty in art for you. Do you have a sculpture around your home, uh, or do you just have paintings up and I don't consider putting in a 3D piece? If so, why Uh, if you have one what is it and what do you love most of us simply think of pictures I think uh, when we think of art or foremost so maybe I'm the one who needs education and a little priming help me out here text us 53106 and you are very welcome along to the show this morning My first guest is one of those overnight sensations who has worked a lifetime already. You probably know her as the judge from the surprising TV hit, Great British Sewing Bee. But she's had a fabulous career as a fashion icon for decades. It's a delight to welcome Esme Young to The Home Show. And Esme, you're very, very welcome along.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Now, you've I- written a book of your life. It's kind of a memoir uh, and we'll come to it later because, because I thought it was it was super. But the thing you are probably best known for takes up only a very, very small section at the end. How did Sewing Bee come about?
0: Well, well, like lots of things come about for me. I was at a party and I was chatting to this woman and, um, you know, like you do, what do you do? What do you do? And she said she was a producer on a sewing programme on the telly. And I went, oh, interesting. (laughs) And she went, interested and I went oh yes I was a little bit drunk and right. I, said, I said oh yes and she said oh well we've got someone but three years later they got in touch with me and I had to you know do an interview and all that and I got the job which well, was amazing. Well
1: I can't think who else they would have given it to and I mean uh, you know when a cake when it comes to a series about sewing did it cross your mind that this mightn't fly for television, it's maybe a home activity?
0: Oh, well, that didn't actually occur to me, to tell you the truth, <laughs> one way or the other. Um, but uh, for me, sewing, and for most people who sew, it's it, it's really good for your mental health mm. in all sorts of ways. You're dealing with 3D, you're being creative, it, it's, you're Solving problems, you know, mm.
1: it's,
0: it's fantastic. I think.
1: And of course, during lockdown, it, lots and lots of people took up sewing for the first time. And indeed, some of the contestants on the on the latest series, which which started this week, uh, only started uh, during COVID. Isn't that right? I
0: know. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, which is absolutely amazing and amazing that they learnt so quickly. I find that absolutely fabulous. Now,
1: let's go back a little bit to your early life. Um, and I was surprised to learn in the book that, in fact, Esme isn't your name at all. It was Emma.
0: Well, Esme is my name. <laughs> right. But my... So, when I was born, my mum wanted to call me Caroline. And my father insisted I was called Esme because he he was a fighter pilot in the Second World War, and he was shot down. Anyway, he came back to England. He was in hospital for two years. And when he was recovering, he was lent horses by somebody called Lady Esme Green. And when I was born, he was around. He wasn't around when my sister was born, but he absolutely insisted I was called Esme. So that's what's on my birth certificate. My mum wanted to call me Caroline, And for some reason, I have no idea why, I ended up being called Emma. And when I first went to St. Martin's, they did a register. They called out the register. And the guy went, the teacher went, oh, Esme Young. I went, put my hand up. I said, actually, I'm known as Emma. And he went, why on earth would you want to be called Emma when your name is Esme? I thought he's got a really good point there.
1: So <laughs> then I became S.B. again. Now, tell me about I know you were you were in Central St Martins and it has been you are you're still teaching and uh, it's obviously made up the bulk of, uh, of your life before and after the the swanky modes era where of course you were a fashion designer. Yes. How did you get into where did your your interest in fashion begin?
0: Well, I think with my mum, actually, she she was, you know, she was into clothes. In fact, I've still got some of her clothes. She loved wearing, things, you know, fashionable stuff. She introduced me and my sister to Mary Quant, Bieber, you know, all that stuff. She took us to Bieber, the very first Bieber, which was a tiny shop on a corner. So it was through mum, and she always had... Vogue and Queen so I was always reading them but it never occurred to me that you could do fashion at college and I loved drawing so I did graphics but at St Martin's I met um, someone called Willie Walters who was on the fashion course and I helped her with her final collection and then we left and we Decided we'd open a shop because we couldn't find anything we wanted to wear in shops. So, two other a school friends and another friend, we all, so it was four women who had swanky modes, mm-hmm. which was very, very unusual. And I think it probably still is. So, there were no men involved. I mean, obviously, there were boyfriends, husbands, all that. Children, but in the business, there were no men involved
1: so do you think it was that it was women designing for women that made it so successful because you knew what they wanted to wear?
0: I guess so. I mean you know when you're young, you anything is possible mm that's how we felt you know we anything was possible. And we were a real community, us four women. And not only did we design clothes which we sold in the shop, we did things like musicals, um, things like that. We knew London then was a really creative place, and it was cheap. I squatted. It was somewhere, and we opened a shop. Kids couldn't do that now. Too expensive.
1: You lived a rather bohemian life, it has to be said. You know, squatting for years, partying all night, mixing with celebrities in the (laughs) 60s and 70s. It it was just, it was a moment in time, like that zeitgeist of creativity. and, And you lived that, Esme.
0: Yes. Oh, honestly, we knew artists, musicians, all sorts of architects. It was a real creative hub in London then.
1: You hung out with David Bowie? Well, Sugs it. from Madness uh, as a yeah. friend. <laughs> yes, yes
0: yes. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Now, when you set up uh, Swanky Modes, it was very, very successful and it kind of um, uh, fed into that period and, and what was fashionable at that time. And you mentioned there that you were doing a little bit of work for for. For uh, TV and film and all that, uh, you have designed some very iconic pieces because you went into the film design, clothing design business. You made, um, you made the famous bunny costume that that uh, that Renee Zellweger wore in the Bridget Jones Diary.
0: Yes, I did. I did. You know that um, I worked on the third Bridget Jones as well, and we were doing. Some pick. She'd come back to England to do some pickups, and I was doing some altering, fiddling with some of the costumes she had to wear. And um, she'd been told by this guy who used to work for me, who was actually the costume designer on um, Bridget Jones, but I always had an input. And he told her. That I was going to be on this programme, and the day I was for the third one, I was altering these clothes. Um, there was this woman w- with me called Natalie Ward, who's also a costume designer, who I share a workshop with, and she told Renee that I was going to be on the telly that night. It was the first episode in the first series that I'd been in, and she watched it, and she said she thought it was great.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, I mean, that's yes, high praise indeed. <laughs> now, yeah. tell me why you decided to write
0: the book. Well, I'm not very good at saying no to stuff. And I'm I'm keen on having new experiences. And I think definitely without the sewing bee, this wouldn't have happened, the book. And also, um, I think name-dropping David Bowie <laughs> had a big effect on people once. Honestly, I do. If I hadn't name-dropped him, I'd think it probably would never have happened.
1: Well, that, that, that's the celebrity way of things now, Esme. <laughs> You're one of them. People are going oh, to be well. name-dropping you now. <laughs> that's, that's are you sure? <laughs> it's, I think so. Now, actually, just something serious in the book that struck me, because this is the home show, so we're interested in all things uh, to do with housing, you are a very, very strong advocate for public housing and social housing. Oh, and in fact, yes. y- you still live in public housing. Talk to me a little bit about how that helped
0: you. Well, I was made homeless. So I, after I squatted, um, these friends of mine had this flat that was a GLC flat. They were moving out. So they said, did I want to move in? So I moved in. I paid the rent and everything, and um, then the GLC stopped, and Camden Council took it over. And I think I wasn't on their housing list, and they wouldn't rehouse me. And the the block of flats got taken over by drug dealers, basically, and it got scarier and scarier. So. I had to move out because it was really scary. Mm. But then I had nowhere to live. So I applied to Peabody. And at that point, they were housing single creative people. And I got got a flat there. And I've been there ever since. And I do think social housing is really important. And there's very, very little bit left in London. Mm. Very little.
1: Indeed. So there was a policy of housing kind of artistic, creative people so that they could go ahead and concentrate on their work and not have to worry so much about where they lived.
0: Yes. Um, At that point, I don't think they do that anymore because I I think maybe why is they had a lot of flats in those old buildings, those Victorian buildings Mm. that were one bedroom flats. So for families they you know they didn't work mm, mm. so that's when they i think started housing single people and it worked for you and, here, and you're still yeah. in it
1: all this all this time later uh, I'm speaking yeah. with Esme Young who's the judge on the uh, great British uh, sewing bee which came back uh, on screens this week uh, now the book itself Esme there's plenty of hints and tips in it about uh, sewing and about creating your own clothes do you think lots of people have lost the art of making clothes especially in the era of fast fashion
0: oh yes definitely um but also it I don't think it's only fast fashion. Is I was taught to sew at school and people aren't anymore mm-hmm. and like I said, it's really good for your mental health and I think it's I think it's such a shame that people aren't learnt aren't taught to sew at school. Go. Mm. I really
1: do. Now in terms of the programme I watched the first episode because it was out on Wednesday and um, you have your very ardent eager designers, a whole range of ages it must be said, uh, people who've been sewing a very long time and people who just took it up during COVID uh, because it was one of those hobbies that you could do at home. And now in the tips in the book, and I know on these reality TV shows, Mary Berry has her soggy bottom. You've got your hungry bum. Tell us how to avoid <laughs> hungry bum, <laughs> me.
0: Well, you need to make a good, you need to measure the inside and outside legs. So, <laughs> so you measure from waist to the ground on the outside and the crutch to the ground on the inside so then you've got the measurement of the rise is this sounding like...
1: Well, describe for me what hungry bum is
0: Oh, right. Well, it's because the rise is too short the the length between the waist and the crutch is too short, so it goes up your bum (laughs) basically, until well, that, so your bottom is eating... <laughs> your trousers. Well, that
1: should be avoided at all costs. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure, all right. Well, if you want to find out uh, how to solve that uh, fashion disaster and indeed others (laughs) and find all about uh, Esme Young's uh, really quite extraordinary life, well, Behind the Seams, My Life in Creativity, Friendship and Adventure by Esme Young is published now uh, and available, as they say, in all good bookshops and the Great British Sewing Bee returned on Wednesday. It's on 8... Clock on BBC One. And Esme Young, thank you so much for joining us today on The Home Show. It was a delight. Still to come on The Home Show, how important are sculptures to our culture? We'll find out. Stay tuned. Be back in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Now, before the break, I was chatting with the fabulous Esme Young from the great. British sewing bee and she's had some life, I'll tell you, she's some woman. Uh, If you missed that, just you can listen back to it on the podcast, uh, which is up on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. Now, today is International Sculpture Day. I know you knew that. So we can take a walk around pretty much any city in the world and you'll see sculptures that will tell us something about that city's culture and its history and, of course, uh, we are no different here. And I'm joined now, I'm delighted to say, by Paula Murphy who is Professor Emerita at the School of Art, History and Cultural Policy at UCD and a steering group
2: member of Sculpture Dublin. Welcome to the programme, Paula. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to see you. Can I make a connection to your last item, the sewing bee? Yes, yes. Because people don't often think of this, but new materials that came in in sculpture means that sculpture can be made out of anything today and fabric sewing can absolutely be a part of it. There, there are works that have been sewn. Now they will mostly be three dimensional or relief works, but they're sculptures.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, that's actually a yeah. good point yeah. because it's not just all about metal and wood. Ooh, and, no, 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 no know, not not, art. not anymore. Art not. comes in so many forms. And yeah. I was ta- chatting, tells me before the break about um, the kind of in this whole era of fast fashion, whether people had kind of lost the art of. of make, do and mend, recycling, mm-hmm. reusing. Mm-hmm. And I suppose when it comes to sculpture, um, there's a big trend for that also at the moment. It doesn't, it, like, you're producing a new piece of art, but it doesn't necessarily have to be from new materials.
2: No, goodness, there are all sorts of things in what you're saying there. Um, no, it doesn't have to be from new materials. Uh, and in fact, uh, a show has just closed in the lab um, which was all about reusing materials. I don't think anything uh, was you know traditional in the sense that we think of, you know, in the historic sense, as you said earlier on, you know mm-hmm. stone or bronze or um, uh, wood or whatever it would be. Um, but it, so many things have come in in sculpture. Okay, you can use you can make sculpture out of anything. that absolutely goes today. But way, way, way back. I mean, it's it's surprising how long ago it is. Um, A sculptor called, well, artist called Marcel Duchamp introduced what became known as the ready-made, which meant you didn't actually have to make it at all. You just selected an object and you made it sculpture without actually going through all the craft. Um, So from that point of view, it was the idea. Okay. It wasn't even the making. So uh, sculpture, uh, in the last... It comes back to that thing, what is art then? It? <laughs> Which is too philosophical for the time we have on a Saturday and Philosophers have been arguing about that uh, since way back in the ancient world. And I, I, don't, I don't think we'll get on to that this
1: morning. <laughs> probably won't. Now, International Sculpture Day. So tell hmm. me the significance of that and what, what it hopes to, what is their yeah, plan. International
2: Sculpture Day, I, I know people sometimes say, well, why International Sculpture Day? Why does sculpture have to have a special day? Well, sculpture has to have a special day because it's really the Cinderella of the art forms. You know, ah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You're looking at what well, me You Scottish, mean after, yeah, after painting? Yeah. After and, painting, after architecture. Okay. Um, yeah, painting is way, way, way more popular. And the, there is that horribly, horribly overused quote by some American um, artist um, with multi-identifications. It could be any of a number of people who said that sculpture is something you bump into when you back away to look at a painting. And people don't notice sculpture. They go to a museum, a gallery, to look at a painting. Do so, you think there's an
1: accessibility issue when it comes to sculpture? That people maybe don't quite know what they like? They don't understand sometimes what const- constitutes Sculptor, I mean, once you get past the Greco-Roman kind of statuary, or you know, mm. bowl on a plinth, mm.
2: uh, it, do you do you think maybe we just haven't learnt enough about it? I I, I think you have a good point, um, because it certainly has been my experience when you open up the subject to people, they're drawn to it. Um, you know, they, they if if uh, if you talk to them about a particular monument, then they want to go and see it. Mm. Um. I, you have to work harder with sculpture. There's no doubt about that. A painting, there's much more information in it. Uh, people will often say there's colour. Now, in fact, there is and has been colour in sculpture. I mean, it was just you know that uh, the the monochrome, the the white and the 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 brown became dominant over time. But there's lots of colour in sculpture today, and there was in the ancient world. But it, painting seems to be easier for people. Mm. They, they do have to work harder with sculpture. Mm. Um, but for me, less is more and there's more to find, therefore. If you have to work harder with it, you get more out of it. You spend more time with it. You, you move around a piece of sculpture. You're taking it in from different angles. You're observing different elements of it. And the more you look, um, just the more you discover and, and, and the more you work out what's going on. It,
1: when it comes to the larger Pieces, you know, the street art, street art, street sculpture, and uh, pieces that are commissioned. Who is doing that nowadays? Who's commissioning it? Is it councils? You know, is there is that that kind of we have to be safe to pe- appeal to the masses, but yes, we want something brand new. I mean, you'll remember the row over, the, on uh, the puck uh, out in Ennis, where yeah. this uh, yeah. Gr- yeah. to some yeah. grotesque yeah, 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 and yeah. to others. Yeah.
2: gorgeous piece of sculpture it ended up being removed well I mean Anna Olivia for goodness sake you know I mean huge controversy about that I mean really problematic work and really problematic in terms of how it got to be on the street so uh, yes the councils are involved now um, uh, there's been a project in place for the last two years Sculpture Dublin Mm -hmm. it launched in April 2020 and it's closing on International Sculpture Mm. Day uh, this year. And that, it had a sort of a double brief. Um, One was commissioning new work. So six new works have been commissioned. as a Dublin City Council project. And uh, the other um, element of the brief was an engagement programme. So lectures and talks Mm. and drawing people into looking at what we already have in place very particularly. But coming back to your commissioning point, so... so, um, for co- the commissioning of a new work, particularly now these six for for the, um, Sculpture Dublin, uh, four of them are in parks, and uh, and in fact one of them is launching this morning up in Bushy Park, where I'm uh, heading after this <laughs> um, uh, Corbin Walker's work. Uh, and there isn't it's a big big park and there isn't much work in it. But what has happened in each case is a panel will be set up with members of the steering group for Sculpture Dublin, members of Dublin City Council, um, art experts, which is very important. Uh, you have mm. to have someone in there with the expertise uh, to know what's good and yeah. bad. You it's, know, it's a not,
1: tough one, though, isn't it? Because it's, it's so subjective.
2: It's, it's it's very subjective, but, you know, it can't be the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And, and, and we can't just keep repeating stuff. I mean, for example... Um, we've got an awful lot of statues out there at the moment, mm. um, uh, statues of men, as you will have identified if <laughs> you've been looking, walking around the street. Well, indeed, um, all yeah, great yeah. men of the past. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: We're but, the ones to the great
2: women. But, but the answer, I think, is not to just put up statues yeah. of women. I think the day of the, that, I, I think put up commemoration to women. Yes, absolutely. But not a st- another statue. You know, th- that statue. It's almost of another age now, that portrait statue. And we need to do something. Uh, let the women be the ones, in a sense, who liberate us from that type of commemoration mm. to do something new and different. So what
1: can people expect today now? Where can they get information on International Sculpture Day and where can they see these new commissions?
2: If, uh, well, the commissions are all around Dublin. As I say, four of them in, par- in parks. Bushy Park... Um, St. Anne's Park in Rohini, uh, Kildonan Park and a new park, actually, that's opening in Uh The fifth is in Smithfield, what I sort of endearingly call the teapot, uh, which <laughs> you must see. Um, and the sixth one is a temporary work, which is on what is an empty pedestal outside the City Hall. It once held a statue of O'Connell. Now. Okay. The O'Connell statue wasn't controversial and removed. It was simply brought inside the building and a temporary work. Um, Alan Phelan's work has been put up there. And, and the hope is, doesn't, we, we can't be sure that this will happen, but the hope is that that will become a recurring event, that maybe every year there would be a commission for a temporary mm-hmm. work to go up, which is a good thing. They have it in London and it gets people talking about sculpture. You know, hey, there's something new on the plinth, you know, What's happening and what type of work is it this year and how does it differ from last year? So, uh, and it's important to keep sculpture, you know, to the fore because it's there. Well, if you
1: are going to do it, today is the day. It is International Sculpture Day. And Paula Murphy of uh, UCD, thank you so much for bringing it to life in studio with us today.
2: Thank you for bringing sculpture to everyone's attention.
1: Now, if you feel exhausted at the thought of buying property in the real world, how would you fancy buying virtual property in the metaverse? Yes, you've heard me right. Virtual property is now a thing and author and tech expert Gillian Godsell uh, is going to try and explain it to me. Gillian, you're very, very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, for us, for those of us whose tech skills begin and end with streaming Netflix, what is virtual property?
3: The NFT is great. Most people would have heard of Beeple. The digital artist has sold his NFT for 69 million. Indeed. Kind of crazy money. But an NFT, if, if I can also just go backwards, an NFT is a non-fungible token. Mm-hmm. What is a non-fungible token? It's easier to explain what a fungible token is. A euro or a dollar is fungible because you, if I have a euro and you have a euro, they're the same, whether you're in Spain or Portugal or Ireland. And you can also break down a euro. So fungible is interchangeable. They're, they're all the same, basically. Non-fungible which is actually the rest of the world. It's you and I, it's the chair you sit on, it's a cup of coffee that you have. Most things in the real world are non-fungible. And blockchain allows us to put make uh, digital assets become non-fungible. And that means that they, they, they're, they're all unique. So where this happens, where it first began in the metaverse is that most metaverses that came around in the beginning were gaming metaverses. And pre, prior to blockchain and um, decentralized platforms, uh, if... It, a lot of people who game, they buy stuff in the game. So if you're not a gamer, you're going, what is this? They, people buy skins and they buy wearables. They buy lots of things. They buy bigger weapons, whatever, in the mm-hmm. game. But if the game company collapsed, they wouldn't own them. So the, you, people spend thousands of euros on games. and then, But if the game goes away, they don't, they don't own it. Now, if you have the game on the metaverse, on the, the um, blockchain all of a sudden those assets are yours because they're unique and you take them out of the game so gamers kind of started it that's where it came to land so if you set up a metaverse all of a sudden this land is now uh, unique and um it's it's a digital asset and it's right. it's not necessarily unlimited because they will limit the size for example sandbox and people may have heard of sandbox because snoop Dogg is in there now it started off as a gaming platform it's now a metaverse um and there's a limited amount of land. They sold most of the land. Most of the land sales happened about a year ago. And this is the bad news for your listeners because um, the secondary market, this it's $93 million worth on the secondary market from this one particular metaverse.
1: So virtual land is not cheap. So, well, of course, we, we, uh, no land is cheap, but I'm shocked to learn that something that doesn't exist in real life is also going to cost so much money. What kind of land do you buy with this? I mean, I, I, I don't. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around, Gillian. And, and mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, you've done a phenomenal job in explaining it. Uh, and I kind of sort of get it for art. But can you buy uh, a field? Can you buy a castle on the moon? You know, what metaverses are yep. out there that that have created this?
3: Well, there's one actually that's quite interesting, Upland, it's called. It's been going for a while. A lot of these are, are, have been around for a while, and the older ones are more expensive. There's new ones coming all the time for people who want to get a bargain, whatever. Mm. But um, Upland, they actually have, have mapped the real world to their to their virtual world. And okay. um, They are bringing out, it started off in the US, and they, I think they said some uh, New York and then some on the West Coast as well. And people were buying the plots, and they get, again, they're quite expensive as it gets more popular. But you also—it's it, interesting with them because they—they well, they it to be realistic. If you want to travel from New York to LA, you have to get on transport and travel. It'll take a, a time—not the same amount of time in real life—but they—they make you can't just sort of teleport to the other side. So they—they've they've gone for a very realistic um approach i suppose other ones like blocktopia is out of the uk and it's a skyscraper metaverse and basically they have i think it's 21 floors and at the top they have a stadium where they plan having sports and concerts and they're also selling all the land in between to brands to like it's like being a super like you know went to a mall of some kind you know a shopping mall and you have going to each floor and it could be fashion or it could be something else you know so it's it's, it's, right um, so so the
1: so the plan is that in time when when, uh, you know the advocates of it see it this as as being a real place you you'll go there in your headset or your viewer or whatever it is you'll go there you'll interact with other people you'll listen to a concert you can work you can do and you'll own that floor of the building or that section of the park
3: yeah. now you don't have to own land to be a visitor to the land. And in fact, some of the older, the more established lands, it'd be very hard unless you were a big brand to buy them. Mm. You can go visiting. I mean, I was in Decentraland recently They had a, a music festival. So I was pottering along with my little pixelated person uh, listening to people. And then I'd spot other people. I, I'd recognize them because they have the name on top. i go, oh, h- hello, how are you? <laughs> you know? <Isn't> weird. <laughs> and then what's happening too as well, that people um, are having meetings in the metaverse because we're all used to doing Zoom now, of course, during yes. lockdown. But if you could get into a metaverse and have a room where you could actually kind of chat and sort of uh, interact um, so th- there's different ways. And, and you can have concerts and festivals and art galleries. People sell a lot of their their um, their their art that the mm. NFTs they bought in, in land spaces. It's um, and you, you can build anything you want. It's
1: it's kind of amazing. Gillian Godsell, thank you so much. Your passion comes through, I must say, and you you probably know more about this than most people. So it's been a delight to have you on the home show uh, to try and explain it to this bear of little brain. And thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you very much for having me. Thank
1: you. Now, coming up after the break in real life, uh, our design clinic with Arlene McIntyre uh, and she's options available to you when it comes to showering. Uh, you can email your questions, problems or queries to the show at newstalk.com. You can text us on 53106 for cost of 30 cent and uh, join me back here in studio in a few moments. Hi everyone. welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. And at the top of the show, if you missed it, I had a fabulous conversation with Esme Young uh, of The Great British Sewing Bee. And that's worth having having listened to if you if you missed it. Uh, it's up on the podcast, of course, which is on the News Talk app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, and you can listen to all our greatest hits. Uh, back on that. If you'd like to tell me your favourite piece of sculpture, because of course it's International Sculpture Day, then you can text us here on 53106 or email us at the homeshow at newstalk.com. <laughs> Oh, a warm welcome back to the show and back to studio, uh, to interior designer, to the stars, Arlene McIntyre. Thank nice you for having you me, again. Shanae, good to see you again. Now, we that music that we've just played was, uh, of course, uh, April showers. And the reason that we are talking about that, we do do clunky segues in this show, is because we want to talk about all things showers. I read this, I actually thought this was a, a joke, but it's <laughs> brief. Bubbles. Tandem showers. This is like a new emanation in the history of bathing. <laughs> Talk to me about these fancy new showers.
4: Well, um, showers in, are really important. We have rain showers. Um, it really depends on so many different factors, but it's it's a luxury that not everybody can afford. But if you can, I think it's really something. People are should... going
1: for that whole spa experience. A hundred Aren't
4: they? In, absolutely. <laughs> in fact, I've done it in my own home. Have you? I think it's just my my place where I can turn off yeah. and switch off. And I've really invested in our ensuite, and it is like a spa for me. So I have a jacuzzi bath. I have a, I have a rain shower in my shower. So yeah, it's really important. I think.
1: Lucky. Now these bubble showers, or what is that the proper name for them?
4: Well, I think they have a few different shower.
1: Yeah. Okay. And they're supposed titles. to be like. Um, well, I would have thought all water coming out of a shower is essentially. A bubble of water, but uh, these are like aerated large bubbles that burst on your skin or something, are they?
4: I have, I have <laughs> to be honest, I have not actually had any experience with that product. I've heard about them, but definitely, I think rain showers are really important. I believe you can get certain scents infused into your mm. shower cubicle as well, and um, of course, different colors of lights. So uh, which kind of alters your mood. So
1: there's okay. amazing things on the market. Right, there are indeed, right. um. OK, so uh, the demand for this kind of thing is on the up. There's no doubt about it. People love their bathrooms, don't they? They do. They do. Um, And I also think that, especially during the lockdown, people were
4: spending so much time at home that they wanted to create sacred spaces and special corners where they could relax, unwind, work privately, escape from the family and so on. So, Mm. you know, a lot of these things were born out of that period of time. Yeah,
1: yeah. And certainly when you're remodeling and redesigning, I mean, there's always always a bit of a mess when you've plumbers in, but... Really, you can do something very spectacular in a very small space. You were talking about your en suite. I've just redone my en suite. It's a tiny place, but it just looks so much better after it's done. And you can you can mix it up quite easily, really.
4: Absolutely. And um, really important things I would always recommend to my clients are to give yourself areas to redecorate in a couple of years as well. So I would always focus on tiling the floors around the bathtub area in the shower cubicle and perhaps leave the other walls bare and and where you can paint and you know freshen up your look after a couple of years so I like to play around with things like that as well
1: Okay that's interesting because I think most people think right if you're going to if you're going to be in the bathroom with the amount of water that's there you should really be tiling floor to ceiling No not necessarily
4: Okay Uh, Often I think it's the tiler or the towel supplier who might be happiest with that solution (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also, I be- I mean, I love stone and I do love uh, some of the tiles that are on the market are magnificent and beautiful to look at. But it's mm. important to consider, are you going to love it as much as you love it on the day you purchase it? And leave yourself little openings, you know, where you perhaps you can try something new in five years. Uh, has the wet room had its day or is it still really Oh, popular? no, that's 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 not had its day. I, I think we're going to see a lot of wet rooms in the future. It's a wonderful solution. Uh, it looks really seamless um, it creates a lovely finish. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of
1: bath or shower.
4: I love the bath. <laughs> <laughs> I love the
1: bath at night and I love the shower in the morning. Okay. Definitely a shower every day. But I yeah. mean, look, I think if you can have both and I know a lot of bathrooms now, they are separate units. So it's not the shower over the bath. If you have the luxury of that space, uh, that's Definitely. What people like to do.
4: Yeah. Break them up if you can. Indeed.
1: Um. Yeah. And then you can really enjoy both and it's safer. Okay. now, listen, we've been getting queries in because this is our design clinic and people know you're you're here. And uh, we wanted to talk about some elements in the home in terms of uh, design and help and and getting uh, advice for people. So the first one is um, advice for painting a house that's under complete renovation. And I think that, you know, so much pent up work. During COVID now the builders are in, so you've got the builders, the plumbers, the electricians, the, everybody, in all at the same time mm-hmm. because you, you've you know stuff that you have to get done. In terms of painting, um, choosing color, trying to make it empathetic throughout the house or tell a story, what advice would you give to to your clients about? that aspect of things
4: well it really depends on what aspect what area of the house they're looking to refresh um if it's north facing if it's south facing if it has a a lot of natural light um if it needs to be a, a a paint that's breathable that's very important for example i'm working on a very interesting project whereby you know the home is over 250 years old and the paints that we're using are very we have to be very you know careful about them being breathable and in keeping with the period of that home and then of course it depends on other factors you know you might find that neutrals would be the go-to because they they last the test of time I see a lot of people investing in really strong bold tones on the walls Mm. and I sometimes I love it at the moment but then I do worry are they going to love it in two years or three years the
1: jewel colors the navies the blacks even
4: yeah Now, I really do love Mm. those tones and I love exploring with them and I use them myself all the time in a lot of my schemes. But I have to always be 100% certain that that client is not going to tire of that tone. So it's just to layer in color very carefully into your space and make sure that you can live with it because it isn't a pub that you're visiting for a couple of hours. It is your home and it is a place that you're going to have to look at in a space for more, you know, then
1: There's a lot of paint shops now that have color consultants. Mm-hmm. or or paint providers that will give you a palette on these cards you know that'll show you look if you're if you're painting three or four rooms or three or four walls mm-hmm. here's a sequence of colors that go together and i think that can trip people up uh, if they don't know a lot about it because it's not something that most of us do all of the time uh, and it can be difficult to know what goes with what
4: exactly well believe it or not Sinead, we have launched our own paint collection And it's really important to me that I group things in fours so that we have a really easy pull for somebody that's trying to perhaps refresh their living room space. So we couple up a color that really works well on the wall with something that could be really smart on the skirting, the trim, the architraves and all the joinery. And then we also throw in a third or fourth tone that works very well on the ceilings. So we make it really easy for people to just do that room
1: in one pull. Okay, like one-stop shops. One-stop shop, exactly. Yeah,
4: because sometimes you might mix a creamy tone on your uh, skirtings and your doors and your architraves that might clash with something that has a cooler tone on the wall. So we kind of uh, have everything pre-pulled. And everything just flows.
1: And you just know it'll work. We all know in it'll the work. Space, it's irrespective bulletproof. of wh- wh- where the room is exactly. and, and what else is in it. Okay, cool. All right. People can find that in Ventura. Is yes. It? Yeah. Okay. Ventura Design. Uh, okay, next question um, is from Dee, and she. Uh, Email address. I'm considering a complete renovation of my home, but do you have suggestions as to an easy way to manage the budget? And where would you suggest, in terms of, to start avoiding overwhelm? Now, I think she probably means overwhelm, as in so many designs and choices and oh things. Oh my too.
4: goodness! I can, I totally hear her, and and I deal with people like this every day. A lot of my clients are, you know, uh, just about to, you know, get into the whole world of new builds, and first of all, you need to be really clear on your style direction. What it is you like, what it is you're trying to achieve, if you can afford uh, an interior designer, work with one, so that you can hone in on what it is you want. And this really helps prevent a lot of very costly errors down the road. So that would be my number one tip. Number two is to do your homework. Um, get three tenders out there. If you can if you can first of all find a builder de- these days, mm, that's that's indeed. one subject. but definitely try and get at least two to three quotes. For your home, so then you're learning about the process, and you can you have a comparison, um, and you can compare all the different quotes that are coming back to you, and always consider a little contingency um, amount of money that you can put aside in the event that you do go over your budget. That's
1: always there at the ready, just in case you need to tap into that. And I suppose when you're when you're undertaking a big build, whether it's an extension or a full remodel of the house, um, the bit you want to get to is the nice interior design bit because that's the kind of sexy, lovely bit at the end. Yes. But actually, so much money can be taken up with the build itself that very often it can actually, it'll be something we'll do when the yes. thing is finished. You're saying start earlier on that.
4: I'm pulling it right back. So get your bones right. First, decide on what your look and feel is. I wouldn't leave that to your builder. I would know before you engage with the builder. Be really clear on what it is you want. Mm. Then start preparing a breakdown of costs for every single room. Furnished, floored, windows, everything, including your bathrooms, your kitchens, so that you're managing your own expectations as well on what you can do and cannot do within your budget.
1: And I suppose by outsourcing to uh, an interior designer, they are acting like a quantity surveyor nearly. It's They they know definitely. where to get the stuff, what it's going to cost and, you yes. know, how you're going to fulfill that design. Yeah, definitely.
4: I mean, uh, m- most uh, m- of myself, my own team and, and other colleagues that I have within the industry... We can offer years of experience to our clients and what we know is out there, what the price should be or shouldn't be, uh, what works, what doesn't work. Mm. And so I guess that's what you're gaining when you, yeah. when you engage with a designer.
1: Yeah, it can be a big deep breath moment though for a lot of householders. It is, like, it is, it oh, is. I don't even know where to start with this. Yeah, I know I have a vague idea what I'd I like know. at the end but I, you know, it, I know. it's, it's but do your
4: homework mm. and get the bones right.
1: Focus on the big ticket items first. That would be my advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Uh, righty, I hope that helped. And then finally we have a question. I've returned to the office uh, and no longer have much use for the home office I had set up at home. Well, so say all of us. <laughs> I'm looking forward to To overhaul the space to make it a zen den for myself. What are your recommendations? Now, a Zen den, that sounds like a little woman cave. Um, yeah. It could be, we're not, I don't know what this listener is thinking, but I would be thinking maybe a little space for Pilates, somewhere yeah. to light a candle, somewhere maybe mm-hmm. to have a bean bag, read a book. or Exactly. Yeah? That's exactly how I okay. read that as well.
4: Okay, And I'm seeing green. I don't know why, but I, when, when the minute that, that I read Zen, I thought, yeah, definitely uh, Zen sounds like somewhere where they just want to have um, a place where they can relax, unwind. Um, you know, it's their sacred space. I see it being very important to have somewhere where they can house all of their memorabilia, their books, anything that relaxes them, uh, takes them down a notch or two in the evenings or at the weekends. Perhaps, uh, like you said, see how you could work that space I, without having seen the space and without even seeing where the window light might be. It could be really nice to bring in a corner unit sofa or a chaise sofa, somewhere that doubles up as a reading space or somewhere you could have a nap and relax or have a cup of coffee with a friend in there privately. Um, important to really concentrate on your styling in that room as well. Take anything that's work-related out of there. Bring in beautiful plants. Um, mm-hmm. things that inspire you or remind you of holidays or happy moments and memories.
1: Uh, and I think that whole, when you mentioned green there, I was thinking of, of um, even down to things like wallpaper, having that feature of maybe ferns or palms. Yeah, botanical. Or, yeah. Isn't, isn't that, that a lovely feel? And it kind of mm-hmm. makes you feel you're in the middle of a forest. You're exactly. definitely not at home in a yeah. You know, suburbia.
4: Yeah. Well, green is a really important uh, colour. As, as uh, beige, there's certain tones of yellow that really calm people down. So if there is a room and a space that I'm working on and they have described that they want this room to work for them in
1: that way, I would always reach for the neutrals and a pop of green. Okay well look super advice as always um, Arlene McIntyre interior designer uh, with Ventura Design thank you so much for thank joining you. us on the Home Show have this week weekend. and you too and that is all we have time for on the show this week if you have a question for us a guest you'd like us to have in uh, or a topic you'd like to hear us cover well please do get in touch with us 53106 for 30 cent and you can always find us on email at Show at newstalk.com uh, and as I mentioned don't forget to check out the podcast which is up on the News Talk website thanks to Maraiso Sullivan Alex Rousseau and Sarah Rouan for helping produce this week. And Stephen McLoon was on sound. And Tom Savage is up next, and we are on every Saturday at 8 a.m. Have a fantastic weekend on International Sculpture Day.
0: The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, Saturday morning at eight. On News Talk.